Get it. So we're in this series called Trap, Trek, not Trap. Sorry, Trek. Uh, I'm pumped about it. And what we're doing is we're pulling out key themes from the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at how to make the most of the Trek of life. And uh, so we have a little handout there, and I have a lot to cover. So I'm going to pray and just jump right in. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that we can all be here on a Tuesday night and that we can honor you and glorify you. I pray that my words would do that, that you would speak through me, that each of us would walk away more, have a stronger desire to pursue you and to pursue growing in wisdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's some essentials for the trek. We're going to go on a journey, an epic quest, a, a, a trek, if you will. Okay, You're going to take some stuff with you. So the first thing you need is you need to aggressively pursue wisdom from God and those who have gone before you. So you want to aggressively pursue wisdom from God and those who have gone before you. There's something about being the first one to blaze a trail. Anyone know who Lewis and Clark are? Okay, some people took history. Good job. Um, they, the reason they're a big deal is because they were the first ones to blaze a trail across America. And they wrote down in their little journals all about that, and they talked about their trek. I recently read about another guy who actually explored most of Africa. He was the one that discovered many parts. He was the first European to discover many parts of Africa. His name was David Livingstone. And he was a famous missionary hero, a doctor, and he blazed the trail all throughout Africa. So I'm going to give you a little snippet about his life. David Livingstone was uh, in college. He was about at a meeting like this. And a missionary pioneer named Robert Moffat came and spoke, and he said this quote in, the, in his talk about Africa. He said this, Many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house. I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages. Villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. And Robert Moffat was already out there in Africa. He was just coming back for a trip to mobilize people to go with him to Africa. And he talked about these the smoke of a thousand villages that have never heard of Christ. And David Livingston had that, that phrase stuck in his head. He couldn't sleep that night. He just heard over and over, the smoke of a thousand villages. The smoke of a thousand villages. And God put it on his heart that God told David Livingston, I want you to go to those villages. And so David decided to go to those villages, whether it killed him or not. He decided he was going to risk his whole life to take the good news of Jesus to those villages that never heard about God. And he wrote a letter trying to recruit others to join him. And this is what he said in his letter. I love this. Let's see the next slide here. He said, if you have men who will only come if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. Yeah, sign me up. That's what I want. And it, it made, when I read this, it made me think of Back to the Future. Roads. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Okay? <laughs> there's something inside me that just is like, yes, go where there's no roads. Let's, let's do this. Let's bring the gospel to those people. And so David Livingston did just that. He spent 30 years of his life traveling as a missionary explorer. He went from village to village exploring, bringing the gospel, writing down everything and learning along the way. He traveled 29,000 miles in his life during the 30 years of traveling now. And that wasn't just walking on paths, road. It was cutting through the brush. And he encountered probably the worst suffering that you can imagine. He, he 
went through, he paid the dump tax on everything about Africa. He, he learned the hard way about malaria. He learned the hard way about the diseases, about the headhunters, about the lions. He, one time he was attacked by a lion and it, it dislocated his shoulder, it messed up his shoulder that for the rest of his life, his shoulder couldn't function properly. He was a, the dude was attacked by a lion. Has anyone been attacked by a lion? Okay, I, oh, it's all that I see that hand. <laughs> Maybe some of the football players that you play against. Um, I actually was almost attacked by a lion one time, but I'm not going to tell you the story. So mysterious. Livingston, dude, Livingston actually married a woman, and um, he was there, he was married to her for 18 years, but he was only with her 9 out of 18 because he was constantly traveling all over Africa. He, they actually had a child, and that child quickly died of a disease that they got when they were in Africa. And eventually, David Livingston lost his own wife um, to, to disease in Africa, as a missionary in Africa. And so why did David Livingston do this? It was because he loved the people of Africa. He loved God first, and he loved the people of Africa. And someone once asked him, David, why did you sacrifice so much for God? And this is what he said. He said, people talk of sacrifice. Uh, the sacrifice I've made in spending so much time in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice? Which is simply paying back a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay. Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Because when you compare what Jesus did for us on the cross, in our place for our sins, we have eternal life with Christ. That no sacrifice that we make for Him is too big. It, every sacrifice that we could possibly make for God pales in comparison to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made when He died on the cross and He took the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, on our, in, our, in our place for our sin. So the average person might look at David Livingston's life and think, this dude is crazy. He's crazy in a good way for Jesus, okay? And he's actually wise. He was actually a very wise man, because when you live according to God's word, and you live according to the reality that the gospel is real and true, and you just let your life, you give up your life for that, that's the wisest life you can live. Now, I also thought of another way that this, this concept, the reason I actually told you about this story was, Imagine that you were going to come right behind, you heard about David Livingston gave that speech in that last quote, and you were at a meeting that he spoke at a college, and you're like, I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to follow in David Livingston's footsteps. And David Livingston had these journals and extensive maps that he drew and things to watch out for, don't touch this plant, it might kill you, um, things like that. And would you read his maps and journals if you were going following his steps? Okay, got a few smart people in here. <laughs> what if before you went on your journey, you had a chance to sit down with David Livingston and ask him the pro, what the tips of the trade, pro tips for jungle African missions? Would you do that? Would you ask him some questions? Yeah, I would for sure. You'd be crazy not to. But this is what so many followers of Christ, so many people do, is God has given us the guidebook. God is, we have wise people that have gone before us, and we have God's word, the guidebook, the journals, if you will, where we can check, and we can, we can, we don't have to blaze a trail. Thank goodness, you don't have to blaze a tra the trail for your life. 
You don't. You can go. You can go. It made it so, after David Livingston did that pioneer work. It made it so much easier for the missionaries, flood of missionaries that came after him, and and they had fruitful ministries. So that leads me to my next point: is you don't know what you need to know. How's that for encouraging? You don't know what you need to know to live the life God has called you to live. You need more wisdom. You don't know what you need to know. Because we need to pursue wisdom. And we need to always grow with an insatiable appetite to grow in wisdom. And that's what the book of Proverbs was written for. Let me, let's check out this passage, this longer passage. It's the intro to the book of Proverbs. Let's check it out. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables. The words of the wise and the riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So that's a lot, but according to this, this passage here, what is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? What is the purpose? Wisdom, okay? And it, said, it says to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. It says that word for word. You want to underline something? Maybe underline that. It's to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. You need the Proverbs to succeed in life. So there's three types of people that the Proverbs are written to. Let's, let's see if we can find them. The first one is a simple. Circle the word simple on your handout. Now, a simple person is someone that doesn't know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. They just don't know. And it's not their fault. It's okay to be simple. It's okay not to know what, what to do. It's just not okay to stay that way. Okay? It's okay to be simple. It's just not okay to say that way. Most people your age, I'm going to be honest, are falling in the simple category. Okay? You fall in the simple category. It's okay. You just need to learn more. You need to not stay that way. The next thing is to give knowledge and discernment to the young. To the young. So circle the young. All of you are young. Almost all of us are young. I might be one of the only people in here that would not fit that category. I'm 34, so you can debate that. Okay? I wish I could redo my 20s. With what I know now, I wish I could go back and redo, sit in your chair and listen to me and actually pay attention. I wish I could do that. But so you can be wise and young, but it's an exception to the rule. There's a reason people have the phrase, wisdom beyond your years. <laughs> it's because it's rare. It's very rare to have wisdom beyond your years. Because being young in the wisdom side of things is an inherent disadvantage, okay? There's, you have, you're a disadvantage. By being young, you have a disadvantage. But you can make that up by growing in wisdom, okay? And so, but just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser either, okay? I know a lot of old fools, all right? I know a lot of grumpy old men that are not living wisely. Because if you choose, if you choose to dishonor God, walk away from God, then your foolish strategies can just be more and more ingrained into your life. So being old doesn't automatically make you wise. Being wise makes you wise, okay? And the next thing I see is let the wise, so circle the word wise. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding
ethics. So even wise people need to grow in wisdom. All my mentors, I have a, I have a handful, I collect mentors, like baseball cards, okay? <laughs> but all my mentors are constantly seeking to grow in wisdom. Pastor Gary, my pastor, um, he makes a point to go to every single Harold Bullet conference as a, his mentor. Every conference that comes every year, he goes to that conference and he pays a lot of money to go fly to Texas and go to this conference. Harold Bullet, the guy that goes to the con, that teaches the conference, which is like 20 hours straight of wisdom stuff, which is awesome. He is constantly, every time, almost every time I talk to him, he's talking about a conference he just went to, a book he just read. Um, he, he's, I'm on this email list where he sends me articles to read, things that he's finding interesting that he's learned. So Harold himself, in order to gain wisdom and share it with others, has to constantly be growing in wisdom. My mentor, Max Barnett, that disciple me in college, he, every week of his life, he's memorizing a new verse of scripture. So I could call him up and, hey, Max, what verse are you memorizing? He'd tell me. And he'd be struggling with it because he's working on memorizing it. And he could always tell me a book that he's working on reading. So I always ask him about that. And then my dad, he's planted churches for about 30 years. He's planted about over 10 churches. And just recently, last year, he told me he's been studying the Bible. He's been learning more about what it means to plant churches and how they did it in Acts and the early church, how the Apostle Paul did it. And he told me the other day, he said, last year, it was last year, he said, I feel like I'm just learning how to plant churches <laughs> from, from the Bible. And he, he's constantly emailing me ideas of what he's getting out of Scripture and constantly learning. So I, that reminds me, the wisest people are those that are never satisfied with what they know. The wisest people never stop learning. Rick Warren said this, he said, never stop learning. All leaders are learners. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. All leaders are learners. So the Proverbs are the first place to start when you want to join wisdom. They should just have a big blinking light saying start here, okay? If you want to grow to wisdom, start with the Proverbs. That's basically what that teacher was saying. So this year I've determined to grow in wisdom myself personally. I'm choosing to, every month, I'm going to read the proverb that corresponds with the day of the month. So it was the 30th today, so I read Proverbs 30. And I'm doing that all year, and I'm just reading some other books of the Bible and things. And that's what I'm doing as part of my quiet time. I'm determined to get into this book of Proverbs. So I want to challenge you. February's coming up. February 1st is on Thursday, I believe. And you can start on February 1st reading Proverbs 1. And go one chapter oh, a day. And, go, and walk with us. A lot of, what do people if we all read through the Proverbs this next month? Proverbs 4, 7, it says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. I love this. Um, my brother and I, I have a twin brother, we lived in the dorms all four years. We went to the University of Oklahoma. And we actually memorized this verse like our sophomore year of college or something like that. And we really developed a, a hunger to read good Christian books and to read theology and to read, read things. And so our dorm room was like packed with Christian books and theology books. And we had to like push stuff out of the side to actually get to it. We had an unofficial minor in, in theology and Christian ministry because we realized that we could get wisdom that others had passed down in books. So and we would go to these Oklahoma, they have these massive Christian bookstores that are bigger than Barnes & Noble, and they're all Christian books. And we would quote this passage, so it costs all you have, if you understand. We spent all our spending money on books. It was, we're, we're nerds like that. 
this thing called Kindle and Audible. And so Andy can listen to Audible two or three times the speed. So I, I've learned to train my brain how to do that. So I probably went through about 30 or 40 books this last year, just trying to constantly keep myself fed on good wisdom. And it's impossible to put a price tag on wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Okay? So how do you pursue wisdom? That sounds great, but how do you do it? Proverbs gives us a clue. It says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain the knowledge of God. I love this. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. So there's some things I see in this passage. The first thing I see is treasure up my commands. Treasure up my commands. If you hear something wise, man, write it down immediately. Take note and actually keep track of what you're learning. That's my first pro tip for pursuing wisdom is take notes when you hear something wise, and then you can organize your notes by topic. Uh, my, brothers, my brother and I, we actually bought a file cabinet, and we separated by different topics based on the Bible. You know, the Bible, prayer, wisdom, we would have different topics, and we would hear a message of challenge, we would take that message and we put it in the right file. And now uh, you can do it digitally, you can take pictures, you can post stuff, take a journal on, on digitally, but be, keep your stuff that you're learning, because you never know when you, when you might need it. I've used and reused the stuff that I've learned from others over time. So another way to treasure up, it says treasure up in that verse, is, is to, to memorize key Bible verses and create a system for reviewing old verses to keep them fresh. So I encourage you, that's the best way to treasure it. You, if you have a verse memorized, you have it with you forever for the rest of your life. If, if you can review it and keep that verse with you. Right now, I have several hundred verses that I've memorized that I have with me I can quote to you right now. And I could, I wish, if I could go back to when I was your age, that's one of the things I would even do more of. I would be more intentional with reviewing my old verses. I wish that I had a thousand verses memorized. And if you start now and you do two a week, one or two a week, you can have a thousand by the time you're mine. Wouldn't that be cool? Think about how your life would be different if you had a thousand verses um, memorized. I wish I could do that. My mentor, Max Barnett, I'm going to bring him up a lot. Um, he said this. He said, if someone gave him a million dollars, said, I will give you a million dollars, but but I have to wipe out the memory of all the verses you memorized just when you're in college. Max says he wouldn't touch it. I don't know. I might. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I might touch it. <laughs> But, but honestly, the verses that I've memorized have been the most precious thing to me. God used them. The, the times that God spoke most clearly to me in my life was through a verse that I memorized. The times that I've been able to counsel and encourage someone was from a verse that I memorized. The time that the Holy Spirit said, no, no, don't do that, it was from a verse that I memorized. My whole ministry is based on verses that I memorized. Dallas Willard, if you don't believe me, check out this guy. Just believe me. Dallas Willard is legit. He said this, he said, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation, meaning growing in Christ. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization. So I'm going to make a bold statement, okay? I, will, I would say that I would rather memorize one verse 
and have it for the rest of my life than to read an entire Christian book. Okay? I would rather memorize one verse and have it for the rest of my life and review it. We have a system we can teach you on how to do that than to read an entire Christian book. And how much time does it take to memorize one little one of these little verses? How much time would it take you? Like five minutes. <laughs> if you're serious, maybe maybe for some of you, some of them like me, it would take you 20 or 30 minutes to really mold it over. How long would it take to read a Christian book? Most of them, four, five, ten hours, takes a long time. So that little investment will pay big dividends. Next thing I see in this passage. Um, that I was referring to in, in Proverbs 2 is tune your ears to wisdom. Tune your ears to wisdom. Always be on the lookout for growing, how you can grow in wisdom. My kids, I have two kids, three and six, and their ears are tuned to treats. <laughs> okay? And anytime we have to spell out candy, chocolate, we have to, I don't know how to spell chocolate, but we have to spell out the treats. Or if we say party, they're like, oh, party. There's me cake. Yeah. <laughs> Their ears are tuned to it. So, so set the frequency of your ears to wisdom. Okay? And then it says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. The first person you should ask for wisdom from is God. Okay? He's the ultimate source of wisdom. James 1.5 says this. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Straight up. Okay? It's a promise from God. That if you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. Okay? And then you also want to grow, is you want to become an expert at asking good questions from wise people. You want to become an expert at asking good questions from wise people. This proverb was really interesting. Proverbs, Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says this. It says, though, though good advice lies deep within the heart, a person with understanding will draw it out. So wise people are around you. Maybe at your church, in this ministry, or I'd say the challenge staff are wise people. If you're around them, you should ask good questions. It takes a wise person to draw out good insight. So my advice to you, if you have someone that's meeting with you to help you grow, to disciple you, that's one of the things we do here is discipleship, where someone meets with another person to help them grow. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you something with something, is try to come up with one good question at every meeting. So one good question for every meeting. Try, to, try that. Um, I go to some conferences sometimes, and one time I, I went down to a conference, and it was some, some of my favorite authors. And I knew I was maybe going to get a chance to meet him. And so I wanted to be ready. I was flying down to Southern California, and so I wrote down a list of 10 questions that I could ask if I met one of my favorite authors. And I met like five or six of them. It was like, oh, it was like Disneyland, okay? <laughs> Um, and I, I, I was so glad that I had my questions ready because I was able just to grill them with questions. It turns out I got to be at a table with Rick Warren, the guy that wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He wrote the best-selling book, nonfiction book, besides the Bible in history, okay? And I got to sit with him for two hours and just my brother and I just grilled him with questions. The other pastors sitting around the table were like, who are these guys? And we just soaked up that wisdom. I'm so glad that I, at that point, developed the habit of asking good questions and being a curious person. So that goes to my next thing in this passage I see, the Proverbs 2 passage. It says, search for them as you would silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. It says, search for them as you would silver. Seek for them like hidden treasures. Okay, so we're going to do a little activity. 
Um, I have $5 that I'm going to give to one of you guys. Okay, anyone want it? Anyone want $5? Okay, but you're going to have to apply the search for them as you went silver principle. There is a penny hidden in the audience somewhere, okay? And whoever finds that penny first and brings it to me gets this $5. So it's on the ground somewhere. Oh, it's down. Yeah, there we go. Okay. It says you're selfish. 
You seek your own desire. And then it says, your breaks out against all sound judgment. Which basically is saying you're crazy. Okay? If you isolate yourself, you don't get any community, you're selfish and crazy. Okay? Because you won't make it if you don't get around other people that are wise. Proverbs 30, verse 12 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. It's better to have no friends than have foolish friends. <laughs> it's better to have no friends than have foolish friends. But having wise friends is the only way to live life. Some of you guys are going to miss out on the best part of college. Because you're not going to get into a biblical community where there's other people that are really trying to live life in a way that honors God and is following God. And that's why we do all the crazy, fun, goofy stuff that we do at Challenges. So you guys can befriend each other and form these partnerships to go on the track together. If you're too busy to develop meaningful friendships that honor God and pursue wisdom, then you're just too busy. <laughs> you're going to miss out on the best part of college, and you're going to miss out on the best part of life. So there's three type of pe- types of people you need in your life. The first one is you need mentors to learn from. I've been talking a lot about this, but you need mentors to learn from. Max Barnett, when I was in college, I was a freshman. At the time, he was about seven years old. And what he did was he met with my twin brother and I, and he did some basic discipleship lessons, basically what we use at Challenge. So if you don't know what that is, I'd love to talk to you about what that is. But then he just did some basic Bible studies with us and had us each memorize a verse. We're picking up a theme here, verse memory, okay? And every week, we have to quote a verse to Max Barnett. And I had this noble ambition in my heart not to be the twin that didn't have his verse memorized, <laughs> okay? That was my motivation. But God's word did its work, and my life was completely changed by memorizing those verses that I was just doing to be competitive with my brother. God's word is sneaky like that. Okay? But I've collected many mentors over the years. It says, Proverbs 24, 6, it says, For waging war you need guidance, and for victory many advisors. Proverbs 24, 6. You need to have a number of mentors, and some mentors are going to come into your life for a moment, for a short amount of time. Some will be there for years. I've had mentors, and I keep them. If I get one, I keep it. (laughs) Keep them for a while. And a good mentor is like a good coach. They'll not only encourage you and say, I believe in you, but they'll say, you did that wrong. You jacked that up. Okay? Let's let's read this verse. It's in Proverbs 15, 31-33. It says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So you might want to jot that reference down in Proverbs 15, 31-33. It says if you don't listen to life giving reproof, you hate yourself. If you don't listen when someone corrects you, you basically hate yourself. I remember I have a friend that's, that happens to be a millionaire, and he happens to be one of the most intimidating people I've ever met, okay? And he happens to be really scary, and, but, and I don't know him at all. But all of a sudden, I got a call from him on my cell phone, and I'm like, oh no, why is he calling me? <laughs> and uh, I was a little nervous, so I picked up the phone, and basically he was very encouraging about what God was doing in our ministry, but he also said, I felt as I was praying for you, a lot of people are coming to Christ, and God's using you. I just want to encourage you to stay humble and to stay teachable and not to let your ministry success get to your head. And that was so helpful for me. 
Because ever since then, it's been a while since then, when I've been tempted to, to kind of think, well, God's using me in some people's lives. I remember that conversation with, with this guy, this, this scary millionaire guy. <laughs> and and it's, it's a life-giving reproof. It's helped me. It's, it's helped me steer in the right direction in my life. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. When someone loves you enough to correct you or to say, hey, you can improve in this area, you need to listen to them, and you need to thank them. You should give them a big hug. Next time someone corrects you, say, thank you so much. <laughs> but that's not our natural reaction. We should, be, we should have coaches and mentors in our life that can say, I believe in you, but also can say, hey, why don't you improve this area? Why don't you step up in this area? The next thing you need is peers to pursue wisdom with. Peers to pursue wisdom with. So as iron sharpens iron, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. I've also had this in my life. My twin brother that I've lived in the norms with, he was like so much more on fire for God than me when, when we started out. He was a scripture memory beast, which is what I call people that are my scripture hardcore. And, you know, and he was honest to a fault. If he even remotely thought he was lying, he would say, dude, I think I might have lied. I'm sorry. And he wrote um, a book about evangelism before he even graduated from college. So he was like hardcore about Jesus. And so I was just trying to keep up with him. I had this other friend, my other best friend, John Mark, who actually thought, hey, this dorm life is a little too comfortable. I'm going to go move into a trailer park, and I'm going to start reaching poor inner city kids, and I'm going to start a church of these people. And that's exactly what he did. He, he gave up his comfortable life, and he went into the inner city, and he started a churches and children's ministry for poor people. And so this was my posse. This is the guys I was hanging out with. And I was just trying to keep up. And so 2 Timothy 2.22, it says this. It says, Flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22. So it says, Flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So it says, along with those. So you need a posse to pursue Jesus with. You, it's not enough just to have a nice, safe Christian community. Okay? It's about loving Jesus and following him with reckless abandon. And it's in getting around some people that are really doing that. That's what I want for you guys. I don't want you guys just to be just a nice Christian kid. I want you to be people that really love Jesus with their whole hearts and are pursuing Him. Flee the bad and pursue the good. And then the last thing you need is people to pour into. People to pour your life into. So you need mentors, you need peers, and then you need people to pour into. Proverbs 11, verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11.30. The greatest thing you can do with your life is help others experience God. The greatest thing, if your soul has been saved by Jesus, that's the, the wisest thing you can do is share that love with others. The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. You're not truly wise until you're starting to pass on wisdom to others. You're not truly wise until you're passing on your wisdom to others. 
And one of our favorite verses in challenge is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It says, And the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you're not wise until you've helped make someone else wise. There's no success without a successor. Okay? There's no success without a successor. And my mentor, Max Barnett, is one of those people. He has literally changed the world. Probably more than just about anyone that I know that's alive today has changed the world. And so we're going to check out this short video about his life. Let's do that. My name is Max Barnett, and I served as a director at the University of Oklahoma for 37 and a half years. I knew when I came here, I wanted to raise up strong disciples. I knew I could never demonstrate what I wanted to unless we could lead people to Christ, build them up in the faith, and see them being able to reproduce spiritually. And I spent a lot of time with a few key individuals because I saw that's exactly what Jesus did. I knew that's what would have. My early Bible study that I started was a group of guys and I said, fellas, why don't we get in the old stationery and let's go to the big schools. Let's see where they don't have a ministry. And one of those guys landed in Ames, Iowa and just began pouring his life into these people. The slow, steady, incremental growth of one disciple making two disciples, making four disciples, and that core group of people began to disciple other people and other people and other people out of that original start in 1972, got this growing cornerstone church with Ames for the college ministry that gathers every Thursday night with 1,300 plus students who've been able to plant Veritas Church in Iowa City five years ago, and then two years ago, we were able to start Candeo Church. A couple from Oklahoma that Arthur students moved up to Manhattan, Kansas, and year number one, they prayed for God to give them six people that had invested their life in. They captivated my heart, and I just remember making a decision that I was going to plug into this group and learn from them. God is doing great work in the heart of America at Kansas State. I really think that how he's led us to invest deeply in just a few and hold that as a value, that because of that, we're, we're seeing the hundreds of lives changed. So when I came to college, I was a part of the Baptist Student Union at Oklahoma, and that really changed my perspective, being discipled personally, and realizing that my life is not about living for myself, but God's glory, and I can do that through making disciples. When I was a freshman in college, I went to this thing called Life Impact, and someone spoke about how there were 200 college campuses in California. I was heartbroken the fact that there was only a dozen ministries at the time. So six years ago, I moved out to San Diego, and we had a vision to start a new ministry every year. And so in five years, we had started five ministries on different campuses in San Diego. And our vision is to start a ministry on every campus in San Diego. I see that God is building through this ministry in really tremendous ways. That all of the leaders that are being raised up here is remarkable. By God's grace, He has raised up alumni former staff members to plant campus ministries in Pennsylvania, California, Washington, to Texas. It's just absolutely remarkable. So God's going to work and, and with the Lord. 
Let me just pray. 